OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to Supporters Fund Ask an Angel. I'm your host, Jeffrey Podman, and let's welcome our investor today, which is Michelle Harris Chandra. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. We're very excited to have you on, especially because you're in one of my favorite countries, which is Singapore. And you can't go wrong with Singapore. It's the hub of all of Asia, or at least I find it is. It connects so many great things that are going on in Asia. Um, today, with that excitement, we want to dive right into it. And we'd love to learn a bit more about your background. I know there's a lot of great things that you've done, uh, especially in the family office and uh, the venture firm space. So perhaps you can give us a little bit of a background on yourself. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Sure. I'm um, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, always a pleasure to take time out and talk to founders and entrepreneurs. Um, so we're a single family office, you know, New York, London, Singapore, Hong Kong. So usually I'm, I'm in London uh, most of my time, but I get to travel quite a bit. Um, serial entrepreneur, you know, built and sold four businesses. I've been lucky in life. Uh, my background is in private equity, fashion, real estate. Um, these days we get to spend time investing in founders, mostly venture debt. We do quite a bit of hardware, consumer goods, um, developed markets, always looking for young, ambitious founders uh, that we can support. And um, what was the other thing you mentioned? One, one thing, one thing about you that nobody, nobody would know. Nobody would know. Um, well, some people would know this, but I mean, the first company I ever started was when I was 23 years old. That was on the back of a lottery ticket, um, which I won uh, when I was 23. Um, it, it, was, it was in the press back in the day, but that was about 20 years ago. So not a lot of people would know that now. So you use the funding to do that? Or what do you mean by it was on the back of a lottery ticket? I was on the back of a lottery ticket. I actually won a car and I sold the car. And I got $40,000 for it and you know, started my business. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, which, was, uh, uh, where were you at the time when this occurred? Was it in Singapore, London? Which, uh, which uh, city or country you were in? I was in Dubai at the time. Yeah. Oh. oh, that's pretty cool. I've never uh, never heard a story where someone uh, had a, a nice little win and then turned it into a bigger win. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was it. it was it was a win by default, as an it, it was more arbitrage. Um, I, I did that on purpose, and it, it was you know when you're young and you're poor and you're hungry, you got nothing to lose. You sort of try all the angles and you work the numbers, and uh, it paid off. So, wow, that's brilliant. And maybe you can talk about a little bit on that side, because what I find really fascinating is that some of the really strong uh, family offices, VCs, investors have a background in entrepreneurship. And you obviously did. You attacked it by winning, selling, and building a company. What kind of got you interested in that side of things? And why did you jump into entrepreneurship right away and not take a corporate job? What was the uh, push or pull that got you into that space? Well, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm inherently unemployable. I, I think that's that's the best way to put it. Um, I mean, you know, my first job out of college, 
I was getting paid 500 bucks a month. It didn't seem like a lot of fun. And uh, I was in events, entertainment. Uh, I was in exhibitions. At that time in Dubai, they had they used to have the Dubai Shopping Festival. Where, you know, every day you can win a car. In a, you, know, you go into a store, you buy something for 10, 20 bucks, and you can win a car. So, you know, back as a poor kid, I went to the, the gas station. You know, back in those days, you would have the prepaid credit for your mobile phone. So I would go in, buy the credit. I got the, the raffle ticket with me. I sold the credit, got my money back, and I still had the ticket with me. So I said, okay, that's a great business, right? So I, I could do that infinitely. So every day after work, I would buy thousands of hours of credit. And then I would go door to door to the retailers to sell the credit, get my money back. So I would put in 50 day, fifty coupons, 100 coupons a day. And on the 27th day, I actually won the car. Um, and then I sold that and started the first business. Um, and entrepreneurship has always been, it's in my, it's in my DNA, you know. Um, and uh, as they say, you know, you have to be in it to win it. So if, if, you, don't, if you don't start somewhere, you're never going to get there. And you said you, it kind of sounds like you, the whole component to this was that you wanted to find ways to make money or pay back the money that you spent to get something, some value out of something. So, which is kind of how entrepreneurs work, which is solving a problem, finding out that there's a fit and getting the value and exchanging value for currency. And in your case, you were going in and found a way that if I take these tickets and go resell them, I can get my money back and still have an opportunity to have a gain. And that gain is going to be that I may win a car. If I do this long enough, maybe the odds will be stacked for me because I'll have enough tickets that will open up my odds in winning. Fair to yeah, say, exactly. Yeah, fair. That's a that's a fair way to put it. I mean, back in back in those days, you know, there wasn't much venture capital around. Nobody would give me any money to start a business. Uh, so I figured I had to go do this myself. Well, a lot of people probably look at that and say the same thing, but they don't actually action it. And you took the job of moving forward and, and actually going after it. And that, I think, in itself, you're breaking the fear, the stigma of how hard it is to build a company. And you found a workaround and made it happen. So uh, kudos, because you wouldn't be sitting here, I guess, if you didn't do all of these, uh, I guess, hustle to figure out how to solve that problem and make money. Because you could have just stayed in a corporate job. Like you said, you weren't having fun, but it wasn't also hitting the means of what you were looking for. Yeah, but that, that's that's the life of an entrepreneur, right? It's not about who's going to let me. It's about who's going to stop me. That's the sort of mindset that you got to have. Uh, you know, you, you've got to take rejection every day of the week, right? From customers, from your investors, employees. So it's uh, you have to have thick skin as an entrepreneur. Uh, that's a fantastic line. I'm I'm actually writing that down. Not who's going to let me. It's who's going to stop me. And I think that that. Um, Michelle is huge because that really 100% denotes what it takes to be an entrepreneur. It's, I, I think a lot of us have a fear and we don't look at what entrepreneurship can bring to us. We look at the hustle as being hard, uh, scared that I'm going to change how things have been going. I get a steady paycheck. I am fit in somewhere. And if I go and start my own thing, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard on me. I don't know if I can handle it. Uh, but that entrepreneur mindset is I don't care about that. I'm going to change the world. And if I'm going to change it, someone's going to try and stop me and I'm going to plow through that as well. So uh, I love that line. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's really is about taking rejection. I mean, another thing that people will probably, I'm sure every entrepreneur has this, but you know, you fail more than you succeed. 
but nobody hears about the failures, right? We all hear about the wins. Um, well, maybe you, maybe in that case, I would love to explore that side because you're hundred percent true that in anything from venture capital all the way across, you tend to always stack the things that are pretty and look great. And you forget to stack the things that show your learnings on why you were able to get to that success. Maybe we can explore a couple of things that in the processes that you were going through to build your companies uh, and build the family office that you have, what were a couple of things that really stood out that maybe you would look back and say, yeah, that was something that caused the problem or that really was my learning lesson. Uh, I did fail that. Um, and it doesn't always have to be a failed company. It has to be something that allowed you to step forward and that you were able to see you made that mistake and that you could move forward. Is there something that ever that sticks out in your mind that you were like, you know what? I made an investment in this company. I knew I shouldn't have this caused this. And I learned a great deal from that uh, experience or I started this company and uh, it was not in the right space at the right time. And I lost my shirt, but I solved it by learning how to not do this next time. Is there something like that that kind of pops into your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's it's more about the, the lessons that you learn as an entrepreneur are similar to what you learn as an investor. So uh, for me, as an investor, I'm always looking at the character of the entrepreneur, right? So you're looking for some someone who is motivated, driven, intelligent, but above all, you know, he's got character. Um, so that's Warren Buffett's thing, right? You want him intelligent, hardworking, and with a great character. Uh, if he doesn't have a if he doesn't have character, then you don't want him smart and hardworking. <laughs> you know, uh, you actually want him dumb and lazy. But uh, yeah, it's a what, it's, what it's drives that character for you? What makes you find that character? And what does a character define to you? Because everybody would look at being smart, uh, charismatic, uh, hardworking. We can see that on the surface, but maybe behind the scenes, they're lazy and slow, like you said, and they're not executing and. I think execution is probably key to all of this, but what, what is that character that you're looking for? Is it a character flaw that you avoid or, or how does that look? I mean, in a word, I would say it's honesty. Uh, you know, like a lot of people, when they have problems with the business or whatever, you should always just own it. Um, it investors are okay with you failing all the time. It doesn't matter. As long as you pick up the phone and you face the music, that's, you know, it, it takes a real person to do that. Um, and anybody that does, everybody knows it's a hard job. So I've always seen this with every one of my investors or entrepreneurs that I've worked with and people that have invested in me as well. You know, if things go wrong, you just pick up the phone and say, listen, we messed up. This is what happened. More often than not, you'd be surprised how people will give you a pass. But it's when you start dodging their calls or, you know, um, you start playing it loose and fast with the numbers or, or fudging the accounts. That's uh, that, that's a no no. Now you start to dig the hole even deeper, right? And, and instead of uh, looking at the broader side of it in the community that you've built around you, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to get that help that you didn't think was there uh, by sharing and communicating out what, what was happening or what's been going on so that people can actually figure out how they can get behind you or at least put you, point you in a different direction that might help, help you overcome uh, the space that you're currently sitting in. Absolutely. Um, uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you call one of your investors and you tell them the problem and, you know, you actually ask for advice, uh, you'd be surprised uh, how helpful they can be. Um, and that actually, that's one thing to remember. People that are on your cap table, they're actually in your corner. They're there to help you. 
Um, so the best thing that you can do is be transparent. Agreed. And how much of this, when you take the four companies that you built, sold, how much of the learning did you take? And is this the reason why you got into being a family office in the venture capital? Was that the shift that you saw, the successes that you had, the learnings that you kind of grew, and decided this was the next steps for you? Um, and what were those learnings that really kind of drove you to where you are today? Well, I mean, I, at heart, I've always been an entrepreneur. I always will be. So, uh, you know, uh, I invest now because I also think it's important to give back. But the learnings have always been that, you know, when I was, was because it, when, you're, when you're an entrepreneur, it's always feast or famine, right? You've got liquidity events when you sell a business and you're liquid, you're highly liquid. Or there are sometimes when you don't pay yourself a salary for years and then you slog it out and while you're building something. And I've been through both. Um, so you learn a few things along the way. I can live on mac and cheese and burgers and pizzas for a long time. Um, I remember the first the first business I did, I, I didn't take I didn't take a vacation for seven years. And I'm I think at, at one point. My budget for a meal was a dollar a meal, and I couldn't spend more than that if I wanted to. Um, and even then, I was down to fifty bucks in my bank account. So, yeah, you see the highs and the lows. Well, you understand how to balance things, right? And you know what the struggle is, so you kind of prepare yourself for that on the next venture as you keep working through them. I, I'm sure it allows you to kind of see into. Uh, what's the best way to run it. But I think that's also super valuable for another entrepreneur to hear and learn from you because you didn't just drop in as a golden nugget with tons of money building your first company and just kept doing that. You had to start from scratch. You had to go through the learnings. You had to go through the product fit, market fit or not fitting. Uh, you had to go through a lot of these things. And I think that brings a lot of value back to the entrepreneurs that you're investing in. Um, is there a, a couple of pieces in there that really stand out that and you mentioned, obviously, character being one of them? Is there other things that stand out in a business that you look for uh, that maybe others don't see right away at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, so I, I do a lot of impact investing. Now, impact investing has a lot of angles. This can be socioeconomic, gender diversity, environmental. I mean, you can the list goes on and on. It can be education, healthcare. And I was on a panel the other week as well for impact investing. And we, we were having this conversation. And I like the fact that businesses these days, a lot of startups, have um, impact sort of hard-coded into their DNA as a startup. So it's much easier as you grow that business to have an outlook. Now, it's always, it's not purpose versus profit. You don't have to pick one or the other. You can do both. Um, if you're a legacy business and now you, you're, you know, highly polluting or you're highly consumer driven, you can allocate a part of your profits towards an ESG program, a CSR program, but it's never the same as if, you know, if it's built into your DNA, that's what I try and look for, uh, for businesses, either from a founder perspective, if they're underfunded or they're in, you know, um, or if they have a, or if they have a common goal, uh, I like healthcare. I like education. I love education. Um, but yeah, you know, there are a lot of battles out there. So I'm always happy to support businesses that have that angle to it. 
You mentioned a common goal. Does this mean that you're looking for uh, founders that are co-founders in the business, that that's important, or you're just looking at that they've been able to buy, build out a strategy within the business that meets the common elements of being an impact business or being in that, in that environment? Well, it, do, it doesn't even have to be an impact investment, uh, impact business. If it's impact, it's great. Like there's nothing wrong building a business that employs 10,000 people because now 10,000 families have livelihood. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And you can own it and say, listen, I have no impact in the world, but the only thing I'm doing, I'm creating jobs and employment, which in itself is a good thing to do. So you can be, you just, you just have to be upfront about that with your investors. For sure. We, uh, we, we did a panel uh, maybe about three, four months ago, and one of the panels was on um, impact CPG, on this whole impact side of CPG branding. And it was interesting because a, a lot of them, a lot of the people in the panel, they took kind of almost insult to injury that um, how people were trying to perceive or push and say that, you know, you can pay for offset credits, you can do all of these things. When they were saying, no, we built our business with that in mind first. So we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we're not the best. We're not saying that the whole thing from day one is going to be sustainable. But what we are going to make sure is that everything we do is working towards that degree of separation. So that when you look at our business today, in 10 years from now, you, it will be 100% renewable, sustainable, all of those great things. But today, we've started with these three major elements, which shift and change and make us way different than everybody else but we can't build a company without billions of dollars to be 100%. So we're going to be 70%. We're going to work our way towards this. We're going to ensure that everybody knows that this is what we stand behind. So I, I do agree that there is a different way to create an impact, but as long as the founders have that mindset that it's not smoke and mirrors and that they're making it up, but they're literally standing behind what they believe in and investors can get behind that at the same time. I think there's a great way for a lot of companies to start to make that shift or at least to grow in that capacity. Absolutely. And because I'm a skeptical cynic at heart, I'm always looking at the angle because a lot of guys that use that impact word just to splash it on the VC fund, splash it on their business and you know, and then raise capital in the name of impact. But for me, I'm looking at measurability, right? So if, you're, if you say your impact, what sort of impact are you having and how? I mean, give me the numbers. Um, and so th that, again, it's about transparency. Agreed. You mentioned earlier that your background in retail is, do you focus on any of that type of impact investing as well? Since that space is, well, you can cut that into a million verticals, but retail is pretty... Uh, pretty big. They do a lot of different things that are old school based. Is that something that you kind of push startups into and in trying to uh, call it revolutionize the way retail is working? Is that something that uh, you take to heart when you're working with these types of companies? Well, my background is in fashion media. So now we talk about apparel clothing. That's a $1.5 trillion business. Um, and the, in this day of fast fashion, you know, with consumerism, you can buy a dress for 10 bucks, use it a few times and throw it away. That sort of fast fashion. And it's, it is a second most polluting industry after coal and oil in the world. So I would like to see more businesses that do not sustainable, but good quality product at a price 
which lasts longer, you know, um, or any other angle, efficiency in the supply chain, or, I mean, there's nothing wrong with making products at a price point which benefit emerging markets and at the same time help customers in developed markets access goods at a cheaper price. You're doing the world a service there because suddenly you've got a factory worker in Bangladesh that can now provide for his family. At the same time, you've got a guy in Sweden that can buy socks for 25 cents. You know, that's a win-win all the way around. The world prospers. But it shouldn't amount to mass consumerism where, you know, you buy it and this whole disposable economy. I have a fundamental problem with that. Totally agree. And I know that uh, one of the, in, especially in the fast fast fashion world, that they've got warehouses and warehouses all over the world with billions and tons of uh, excess cotton, wool, uh, just sitting there and they don't even know what to do with it. And it's it's just cheapened the market down so badly and dampered it down. And then you've got all the chemicals that are riding into uh, to make the clothes, et cetera. So I, I do feel that there is certainly a, an opportunity for startups to kind of change the way this is working. And you're starting to see a lot of merging startup companies come into the space that are trying to change the way uh, distribution, supply chain works. Uh, at the end of the day, it, it's still... Uh, overly consumed because that was the way that they could sell was fast fashion. So that $10 dress that you're going to wear three times and throw away, um, they can't even keep up with it. And, you know, over the years they were sending products to third world company countries. And even that hasn't has been failing because of the amount of excess. So it, it is something that does seem like there could be a really um, big effort that could be put in by a couple of startups that could change the way that works. Yeah, absolutely. Already, I, I was I was talking to one of the VC funds. We were having drinks the other day, and one of their portfolio companies does the the biodegradable straws, where you know, it actually you throw it in your garden and it decomposes in a year. That's 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 huge. Um, um, again, you know, one thing I keep wondering about the, with the pandemic, the face masks, disposable face masks. How many hundreds of millions of masks are we using in a day? I don't even know where these masks go at the end of the day. Um, it's crazy. It's a good point. Uh, you know, they when the pandemic started, there was uh, a lot of shortages because of this was something that they didn't actually uh, look or anybody looked at seeing as being an issue in the world. And then they had to ramp up all of that. But you're right now, you're stuck with oceans filled with them floating with the rest of the plastics in the world. And I, I think the disposable side of everything we do, people forget that it has to go somewhere. And, and, and I mean, perhaps the, the change that needs to happen is the, in the environment isn't so much of uh, we need to find out where we can renew everything, but maybe it's what if you have to take care of your own garbage now? What if you have to dispose of all your recycling? Now it's being put on you. Now, will that change your eating habits? Will that change your one-time consumption? Because at the end of the day, you can't stick it on the corner. You have to drive it somewhere or you have to put it somewhere where it is going to get actioned. And maybe you have to pay directly out of your pocket. Does that change consumerism for the for the rest of the world? Because today it's drop it and go. And I think that we're so used to that format that we're forgetting about the rest of the world because it's someone else's problem. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Really well said. Uh, I would like to see a more innovation there. 
um, because you know, out of sight is out of mind, but it isn't. It's it's there. It's just in a different part of the world. Uh, Agreed. And building up, you know, yeah. you, you take back in the day when um, and this has only been a few years ago, where Canadians uh, they would ship all of their garbage and recycling to China, and then the day that they shut that down and said we're not taking your garbage anymore, you know pandemonium occurred everybody was like oh my god what are we going to do with this stuff um and because that was never in the foresight of thinking you know maybe one day we're going to have to manage our own problem so it's fascinating how much we try to push our stuff on everybody else and you know one of the biggest um investment vehicles that's been going on in the last uh five years i would say four or five years is impact investing but I'm wondering now, just based off of this, how much impact investing is really occurring because maybe we're not looking deep enough um, and we're surface level investing again. We're not really solving the problem. We're seeing who's going to pick it up and who can we dish uh, this issue off to next. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I see business proposals every day and there's nothing sexy about garbage disposal. So I don't, maybe that's why nobody pitches it, but I would love to see more in that aspect because i think biodegradability the environment uh, that's a that's a big one and i don't see a lot of innovation i don't know about are you seeing a lot of startups in that space no uh some of the things we've seen in the maybe i'd say a year ago i saw one where it was camera based on a garbage pickup to ensure that uh, they were able to connect with the big bins faster and easier with more direct ai based camera systems uh, another one where the uh, when a garbage bin gets to a certain level, it would deploy the trucks. So the trucks would only map out. So these are kind of more supply chain um, areas versus focusing on the actual problem. And again, the problem comes back to the consumer. We're not educating ourselves on the overusage. And I think uh, a startup needs to start looking at these things. We're looking at automation and, you know, the next 10 years automation should be the biggest uh, vehicle that's going to change the world right now. Uh, from robotics, et cetera. So how much of that is going to focus in on the garbage problem? Uh, you see Four Oceans, which is um, a non-for-profit that runs globally. They've built AI-based scraping machines to clean beaches. It's all about picking up that garbage, but the garbage shouldn't be there in the first place, which means mm -hmm. that it goes back to the consumer again. How do you start to educate that consumer to stop um, dropping and moving everything from their problem to somebody else's? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really is a consumer-driven problem. I've seen, you know, when you order from an online shopping cart, uh, it comes in bags and bags of plastic bags. I'm like, this doesn't need to be this way. Uh, agreed, totally. So now, in in the to shift a little bit in Vulcan Group, what are the some of the areas that you're 100% focusing on that you really love on the investment side? And then maybe one, two, or three criteria on what startups can look for if they reach out to you. What are three things that they should keep in mind when they're presenting to you that really are important that for them to close a deal or to at least get talking to you? Maybe you can share you know, two or three points of, uh, of value that they should be uh, ensuring that they're sharing in front of you. Sure. I mean, well, for us, I mean, we look at venture debt more than straight equity. So any any startup that comes to us, yeah, I, I like bootstrapped entrepreneurs. Man. I like real entrepreneurs that don't want to sell a part of their baby because everybody thinks I'm going to go out there and raise a metric ton of capital and uh, because there is so much liquidity out there. But if you really believe in your business, you shouldn't be out there selling equity anyway. You should be out there getting 
some sort, because most businesses, at least the ones that I like, the ones that are in hardware, in consumer goods, medical devices, IoT devices, drones, anything physical, they have a huge capital intensive business that requires a long trade cycle in terms of manufacturing, injection molds, production, shipping, customs clearance. Then you've got to market it, you've got to sell it, get it out to the consumer. So we do a lot of non-dilutive financing. So I do mostly venture debt, lines of credit, inventory finance, supply chain finance, trade finance, purchase order finance. The kind of entrepreneurs that I look for, the founders, they come and tell me, listen, Michelle, I've got a million dollar purchase order from Apple or Walmart, Costco. I need help to fill the purchase order. That is something capital is always available. I'm always happy to back an entrepreneur that way. Or if he tells me, you know, we've got customers that want the product, we've done the teething, now we're looking to scale and we need growth capital. That's what we love. Someone, you know, make it, sell it, make it, prove the concept out and come back. People come to me with an idea and projections. We're not early stage investors. We don't do that. I like to do later stage businesses above a million dollars revenue that really know what they're doing. They've been through the teething issues. So that would get you a conversation. I love it. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a great position to be in where uh, companies come in, they've got, they're stable, they've got uh, a purchase order, they've got some movement, they can grow, and you guys can help scale them with that uh, with that extra debt capital. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, and they don't need to sell a part of their business to do it. Well, we're going to kind of shift a little bit now into one of the areas that I, I really like to dive into is the storytelling kind of what you know, through your years of, and you've been almost at this for 20 years working on the debt side, is there a story that kind of really emphasized what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Um, you know, it could be she or he was working, you didn't think it was going to make it, they were on the last legs, and then boom, they were able to uh, pivot change. And, you know, now they've got this successful growing business. Um, you could have invested in them or not. But really, the idea is just to share kind of that what it really takes to hustle to be an entrepreneur. I think sometimes in the world we forget what that hard work looks like or how things work or, you know, sometimes things fail and it's how we pick ourselves up and go after the next venture. Um, do you have a kind of a story in mind that jumps to you? Well, in, in terms of the people that we've invested in or my personal experiences or. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, failure is your, your best friend. I mean, you embrace it. And there's, there've always been circumstances where I've, I've tried one business after the other, nothing worked. And this is maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, um, back in the recession as well. You know, uh, We really took a beating in real estate. We took a beating everywhere. Um, and all your biggest customers suddenly slashed uh, their marketing budgets, which was our biggest customers were Samsung and Nokia. And at that time they were doing well and HP and um, some businesses survive, some businesses don't. But uh, for us, it's it's all about sticking around long enough and then cutting your overheads um, to make it lean and mean. And I, I can always tell you one thing. One business I had, I remember at one point we weren't able to make payroll and I pulled everybody into the office and said, listen, I can't afford to pay anybody for three months. Uh, if you guys want to leave, leave. 
And I felt bad because I know they have rent to pay. They've got their own families to support. Or I fire 30% of the staff. So that, that's my option, right? Either I fire 30% or I, I, everybody goes without a paycheck for a couple of months. And we took a vote on it. I said, it's your choice. You tell me. And then we, this is a democracy, right? And they all agreed, actually, not to take a, pay, a paycheck for a couple of months. They, they didn't want it, you know, the guy on the left or the guy on the right getting fired. Um, it was nobody's fault. It was just that time and day. And yeah, it's, 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 it's ironic. Um, I honestly thought they would have gone the other way. So. It's uh, an amazing story because it's not so much on the... Uh, I guess the temperament of the values of where everybody is at the time, it's how much they believed in the founder and how much they believed in where the business could go, that they were willing to take the risk to continue to support because they could see the vision of where you guys were going. And I think the best thing of what you shared there and what you shared earlier on, when we first started talking, it was all about communication, that when you communicated to the investors, there was help there. When you communicated to your uh, employees or your team members, there was help there. So it sounds like the real learning behind anything that you're going to do is the more you communicate, the more you share and make it truthful, which is, again, the honesty side that you mentioned, you've got a better chance of moving into the right direction than you do when you hide it, get stuck in a position where you don't share, and now everybody is leaving, but they're leaving for all the wrong reasons because you didn't open the door to kind of keep people on side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, transparency is the best thing you can do and be brutal about it. In fact, you always go the other way and be more conservative than you have to. Because if you say, if you tell an investor, I'm going to hit, I'm going to do X and I do Y, they're always pleased. But if I say I'll do Y and I do a half of it, nobody's happy. So under deliver, I mean, under promise, over deliver, that's your, that's your key. I love it. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, set the expectations and go after it. And and I I would probably throw one other other element into that, which is execution. It's key to anything you do. And if if you can't execute, you're you're going to always have problems on the communication side because you can't update people if you're not executing. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I was I was listening to some of your speech by Warren Buffett. And he was saying, well, what's a marriage built to last, right? What do you look for in a partner? Is it looks? Is it brains? No, you're looking for low expectations. <laughs> that's a marriage that's built to last. <laughs> yeah. And you just build on it. You continue to grow. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a great story. We're, we're going to jump into our, uh, our rapid fire questions. Yeah. So the way this works is you pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yeah, go for it. All right. Founder or co-founder? As in, in what context? Oh, uh, I'll, if I'll you were, founder. yeah, investing, you're going to go after founder or co-founder? Oh, founder. Uh, unicorn or four-year 10x exit? Four-year 10x exit or unicorn? Unicorn. Tech or CPG? Tech. Brand or tech? Brand. AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second or third time founder? 
uh, second or third time any day. First money in or Series A? Series A. Angel or VC? VC. Board seat or observer? Observer. Safe or convertible note? Safe. Lead or follow? Follow. Equity or interest payments? Interest payments. Okay. Favorite part of investing? Uh, the founders. Number of companies invested per year? Seven, eight. Awesome. Preferred terms? Venture debt. Verticals of focus? Consumer goods. Hardware. Two things that make a startup stand out? Um, focus on customers and the founding team. I should say obsession over customers. Agreed. Love it. Okay. Now we're going to go into the more uh, personal side. Book or movie? Uh, movie. Superman or Batman? Uh, Superman. Pizza pop or ice cream bar? Ice cream bar. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Bezos. Arsenal or Manchester United? Manchester United. I've only found two Arsenal fans. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Bike or rollerblades? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Oh, Big Mac. Trophy or money? Trophy. Beer or wine? Wine. Alarm clock or mobile phone? Mobile. Hotel or hostel? Hotel. King or rich? King. Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Birthday cake. TED talk or book reading? TED talk. Is life boring without Trump? No. <laughs> he does create conversation. Yeah, I'll say that. All right. Favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Oh, Gladiator, Russell Crowe. Oh, I love Gladiator. That's a great movie. Yeah. Favorite sports team? Ooh. Uh, that's a tough one. Which sport? Any sport. Any sport. Uh, it, it comes to think of it, I don't even watch a lot of sports. It's not my thing. Perfect. That's not a bad thing either. Yeah. Favorite book guy. or the favorite last book you read? It's been so long. Anne Rind, Fountainhead. What's it called? Fountainhead. Fountainhead. I don't think I've read that. It's about doing what you love. All right. Okay. First brand that pops in your mind. Oh, uh, 
sorry to be so cliche, but Apple. You are, uh, it's not cliche. It's amazing to see this, but I will say that 95% of people pick Apple. Yeah. Most famous person that pops in your mind. Oh, Julius Caesar. Nice. Love it. That's great. All right. Last question. What Go is your superpower? Ooh, I, w- I would say I'm a good sense of character, a good judge of character. Um, that has always been my thing. People. I love it. That is a, a good quality to have. And I would think that that is a great quality to have and support when you are making investments uh, through equity or debt into anybody when you're uh, presenting and moving forward in the world of capitalism. Yeah, it uh, yeah. probably makes a big difference. Yeah, it's human capital. That's the most expensive capital I know. I totally agree with you. Well, Michelle, I want to say thank you very much for all your time today. It was great to get to learn more about you. Um, as always, I take lots of notes. Got a whole page full of great stuff. Uh, great, great uh, lines. I just love the way you look at a business. And you know what? It is always different when you come in it from uh, uh, investing through debt versus equity. There are different ways to uh, view a business. But when you put it all together at the end, it's always goes back to the two things that you said, which is about a great team and an awesome founder that has character and honesty. So thank you very much again for sharing. And the way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share to an investor or to a startup, I turn it over to you. But Vishal, thank you very much again for joining us and sharing uh, everything you have today. No, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, with regards to founders, you know, if you run a business, you're doing above a million dollars in hardware, you're looking for growth capital, give me a call. There's always help available. If it's not me, it's somebody I know. And if you're an investor, family office, you're looking to help other founders. We love co-investing. We have a fintech portfolio company. We were put together specially to help founders. Always happy to chat. Awesome. Well, Michelle, thank you very much again. Awesome advice, awesome feedback, and thank you for all your time. All right. You have a great week. Okay. That was a great conversation with Michelle out of Singapore, family office. Fantastic. Uh, I loved a couple of his lines. Uh, man, really uh, knocked it home with, uh, with those. Uh, it's not who's going to let me, it's who's going to stop me. And I think that one really summarizes what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Uh, You fail more than you succeed, own it. If you fall, share and update, be be a better new person. And you know what? It it really comes down to those two things that he mentioned as well when it's diving into businesses. Uh, It's the the team and it's how that founder communicates and who they really are. So that character side. Uh, But overall, fantastic. Uh, Really enjoyed the conversation again. Thank you very much for that, Michelle. So thank you everybody for joining us today. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com and or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Have a great day.